with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris McPherson, and welcome back to the Journey to Draft podcast. I'm joined alongside, as always, by Fran Duffy. You need a little wake-up call, brother, huh? Tuesday afternoon, we're at the Novacare Complex, back in Philadelphia after a great week in Indianapolis. Uh, what do you got to say, my friend? It's a, uh, it was a long week. It was a productive week. It was a ton of fun. I love the city of Indianapolis. Uh, all that being said, I'm glad to be home. It's funny because you and I were in the airport yesterday, and you wanted to track down a bottle of the St. Elmo cocktail sauce, which is... Yes. Extremely spicy. It's my my wife actually asked, "Why do you put yourself through it?" Okay, <laughs> we got at the airport. I brought it home and gave it to the kids, gave it to the misses, and like just the faces, the reaction of them trying it for that first time. I mean, at least I knew what was coming, and they knew what was coming. I warned them in advance, but there are times when people take that first bite and not know what they're in for, and just sinus clearing and the whole 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 nine. It's you a feel face like, melder. You feel like you'd see the future. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing with my wife. Um, I'm probably not going to give her too much of a warning, really, just because I want to see her face when she uh, takes a huge bite. And that's kind of cool. It's she. Lo- she likes hot and spicy, so she's going to enjoy it. That's why she married you, of course. Come on now. That's, you can't get the hot takes anywhere else. The one thing that I've not yet uh, emulated was the smoothie. Were the smoothies we had? Ah, yes. Cafe Patatou in Indianapolis. Soon to come. That's going to come soon. So, again, fun week, and thank you very much for all of you who listen to our daily recaps. Now we're going to get back into the uh, you know standard format of the show. We're going to open with a little draft buzz. Got some good nuggets there. Our Mr. Relevant this week is Josh Norris from Roto World and NBC Sports. He is phenomenal when it comes to covering the draft, not just from the film study, but the philosophical standpoint and, and incorporating the different metrics. And so it's going to be a good conversation with him about his thoughts on the different players, especially coming off the combine performances. Our pick six this week, six players we're most looking forward to looking back and watching after going through the weekend in Indianapolis and kind of getting a sense of, ooh, this guy maybe wasn't as good as we expected. Now we got to go back and watch the tape. So which guys are we excited to study? And then last but not least, your questions in our draft mailbag. But first up, Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. So come back from Indianapolis. I'm sure, as you can all tell, my voice is struggling already. It was struggling by the end of the week in Indianapolis. And uh, we walked in the building this morning, Fran, uh, Shelby, who's our receptionist, uh, she also is an actress. She performs in local plays. And I go, do you have any remedies for, uh, you know, helping with the sore throat, lack of uh, lack of a voice? And she goes, well, stop talking. <laughs> That's going to be difficult. Mind you, she's a chatterbox to begin <laughs> with. So I'm like, it's fitting coming from you. And also... I have to do a speaking engagement later on with some of the coaches. So I'm like, that's that's not an option. So if anyone has a good remedy, I mean, she did offer tea and honey and tea stuff like that. with honey and lemon. Yeah. So. That's what I've heard. Uh, nonetheless, let's get into our draft buzz here. First nugget regarding the quarterback position, and this is always good because Eagles sitting at 32, you want to see the guys fly in the first round. You want to see five, six quarterbacks, if possible, go before the Eagles selection. And Adam Schefter tweeting out a very interesting note uh, from one of the main nuggets I'm sure he gathered while in Indianapolis. 
He said that one team, as Lamar Jackson of Louisville, ranked as the number two quarterback in the draft. And the reason why that's important is because, obviously, we all feel pretty solid that Sam Darnold's going to go in the first round. Josh Rosen's going to go in the first round. Indeed. Baker Mayfield, probably going to go in the first round. Josh Allen from Wyoming, probably going to go in the first round. So those four guys are going to go before the Eagles pick at 32. The one guy that's in question, I would say, by most is, is Lamar Jackson going to go in the first round? Some people say absolutely. Other people say absolutely not. So if one team has him at number two, you hope that a few others potentially have him at number two. Exactly. And if that's the case, maybe we will see him go off the board. And that's why, to me, that is an important piece for, this, for these Eagles team because either, either A – could have a team that would want to trade up with the Eagles at 32 if they want to try and snag Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round if he's there, or it just bumps another player down the board to the 32nd slot. So to me, that little piece of, uh, of news was important for Eagles fans. Speaking of Eagles fans, Philly Phil, we have to wish him a happy 100th birthday. Oh, that's awesome. March 6th. Happy birthday. So just just kind of came up in my mind. Uh, got to talk with him and his family, do a story on him before the Super Bowl. And, you know, long, long, long time diehard Eagles fan. I heard that woke up this morning, put on his Eagles hat, and sent a note to Julie Hershey, who runs our community relations department, basically wrote a poem about the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and how he expects him to be back there next year. He got a great gift one month and two days ago. That's all he wanted. Yeah. He said the best birthday gift would have been the Eagles was the That's Eagles right. winning the Super Bowl, and he got it. So happy birthday to him, and for, probably for a lot of fans by the time this gets out there on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to our podcast, hopefully you survived the Nor'easter, part two. We missed the first one, and it seems like a lot of, pe- a lot of people will be snowed in So while listening Pre- to this. Prepping for it. Indeed. Next up here, Lance Zerline from NFL.com. Tweets that he has spoken with multiple teams who now view Oklahoma offensive tackle Orlando Brown, who we all know what he did in Indianapolis from a performance standpoint on the field. Didn't do exactly. That he has now gone from a first-round pick. Potentially. Potentially. To a day three selection. Something tells me this will come up in a little bit when we talk to uh, Josh Norris later in the show. But I, I think when you look at it, it's just the fact that if it was a bad workout, all right, you kind of expect it to be a bad workout. This was not a bad workout. This was like a historically terrible workout. So uh, we'll see if he goes through drills again uh, at his pro day and if he improves on those times and then you know, kind of helps himself. But it was, it was so bad that teams worry if he's even got the, the, the baseline quickness to be able to say, oh, yeah, he can be a starting NFL tackle. We'll see. What, got, are your no, what are your notes on him? Just from I, what I like you his fi- I mean, I, I like his film. Obviously, he's going to have uh, some issues in terms of his pad level. He's a tall guy. He doesn't have natural flexibility and bend in his knees, so he gets caught sometimes playing a little straight leg. And then since he's so large, you know, he's going to allow some of those. Ta- the, if he gets a defender into his pads, he can get driven back because he doesn't. He will play a little straight leg at times. But you're talking about a guy who is big and physical and can blow people off the ball You know when he's given the opportunity to. Didn't play from a three-point stance at Oklahoma, so uh, there's a little bit of a transition there. But to me, I thought his feet were just good enough when paired with his like 35-inch long arms that uh, he reminded me in some ways of like a Bryant McKinney when he was with the Minnesota Vikings. Like He's a big, hulking tackle who, who can get hands on a defender uh, and keep them, at, keep them at bay. 
We'll see. We'll see. I'm actually I'm, I'm interested to go back and and watch a little bit more. Maybe see something that I didn't see. I I don't know if I bought into him as like a top twenty pick, but I liked him. I th- I think he's got the ability to be a, a future NFL starter on the outside. So um, I'm I'm a little anxious to go back and watch and see if some of the uh, look like I said didn't expect him to come out and and test great, but, but this was a this was this was worse than bad. Uh, he still beat Rich Eisen from NFL Network. They did a simulcast. They did a bunch yes. of simulcasts in yeah, his forty. Orlando Brown still beat him. Still a pretty good number for Rich Eisen, though. Yes, respectable. Uh, next up, it's looking a little ahead. <laughs> really looking ahead here. We're not even, you know, into the 2018 NFL draft. This is a note for 2019. I put this into the rundown just to get your, re- just to see what your reaction would be. It's well, it's Houston defensive tackle Ed Oliver announces that he will forego his senior year and enter the 2019 NFL draft. This is before he plays in, assuming he plays. Assuming he plays. In 2018. And Spring ball hasn't started yet. It's, start, it's starting for some teams. But like it's getting ready it's to just, for them. It's just getting underway. Teams. But it, it goes back more to the, well, what will he do? Will he play football in 2018 if he already has his mindset? Because we, we listened to a lot of the prospect press conferences in Indianapolis, and one that, uh, that comes to mind immediately is Denzel Ward, the corner from Ohio State, who admitted that the NFL draft was in the back of his mind when getting ready for the process. And it's like, you know, it's it's one thing to come out and admit that's, you know, the player's right, business decision, basically. But when you're thinking about this early, when you already know what you're going to do, you can't help to think that it's going to weigh on him throughout the course of the year, that is he going to be able to fully play the way that he can, or is everything going to be, I got to kind of ease up a little bit because I don't want to get myself hurt for the NFL. Yeah, and I'm trying to find the the exact tweet because the the team was the one who released the statement in pairing with Oliver, and I, I want to see if they if the um, what the exact statement was. But you know, I think when you look at a player like this, I've talked with coaches at a pretty high level of college football who will say they'll they'll recruit a guy and they'll know like this is a three year rental. <laughs> you know, a lot of the ways is similar to the one and done in, in college basketball. You know. Hey, this guy, and this this kid Oliver. I mean, he was an impact player from day one, game one against Oklahoma. They upset the Sooners at home, Houston. So, uh, this is a, you know, it's going to be an interesting case to follow. I, I hope he does play because he's a, one of the best players in college football. We, it, and we're going to get a little off tangent here, but we talked uh, Radio Row well, was well, it? Thurs- what, Thursday morning, um, Thursday morning from Radio Row. We we were talking about how it was a year ago at this time when we started hearing rumblings. Yep, Sam Darnold is going to be the number one pick next year, and we were saying, "Oh, like who are the guys next year?" And I said, "Outside of the defensive line and next for next year's class, there's no like established no blue chip. Yeah, there's no quarterback that we're looking at right now and saying, "Yep, he's definitely a lock for the top ten. No running back. We say, "Yep, lock for the top ten. But it's the defensive line, you know. It's Ed Oliver from Houston. It's the all the there's four guys from Clemson that we're talking that we're going to be talking about. Three guys from Clemson we're going to be talking about. Uh, there's the the kid from Michigan. Um, obviously the Ohio State D line. I mean, it's the defensive line is very strong next year. But after that, it's we'll see. It's funny because usually at the combine, you start hearing about you know oh next year is the next year, to, year. Get the, exactly. to get the quarterback wait till next year and all these guys will be phenomenal and they're yep. all going to the top 5 picks and it never comes to fruition that way 
But you didn't hear that this year. We didn't hear that this year. We'll see. We'll see. We've got a couple weeks now to find out. I will say that that's what everyone will be talking about the next year's defensive line class. But who, who's, who's everybody else we're going to be excited that's about? That's not the sexy part of it, though. Right. That's the thing. It's not well, the quarterbacks, not the receivers. Whoever floats your boat. That's true. We know what wins championships, obviously. Right. You know what, what you have to do to build a good football team. You obviously need a quarterback, but it's not the only thing yes. that you need. All right, let's do some mock drafts here. And uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network, my one-on-one is already going to be outdated by the time we post it to philadelphiafields.com in the app because I believe, I'm trying to think now who he had take, us taking in his previous mock. Um, it might have been Taven Bryan from the Florida defensive tackle. Okay, I'm not 100% correct on that. That's one of the names I was floating around. But he now has us taking Colorado corner Isaiah Oliver. In the first round. Yeah, a player who tested better than a lot of people thought. And I, I, I would be one of them because I didn't think he was going to run particularly well. And he, I think he did get around 4-5, or five, which is plenty good for him considering his size. I mean, he's a bigger corner. He's physical. He's instinctive. Uh, he's got the ability to make plays on the ball in the air. Uh, I do like the way that Oliver plays. And you're talking about a guy who's you know just over six foot. He's over 200 pounds, former high school wide receiver. So uh, he's got those ball skills that you want. I like his length. I just worried about the overall athletic ability. And um, the fact that he did hit four or five, I don't think he test. I don't think he went through any of the other tests, but um, he did run the 40. So it'll be, it'll be, that would be an intriguing pick. A lot of people not necessarily thinking like, outside corner for the Eagles. No. So we talked we talk about Dante Jackson and uh, how viable that would be considering that he's got that versatility to play inside and outside. Oliver's not that kind of guy. He's more of an outside corner. So I thought that was interesting. All right, next year, uh, CBS Sports is Will Brinson. Your guy, Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. Love Christian Kirk. Uh, the overall workout, as we talked about on Saturday's podcast, was yes. uh, I would say the overall – Athletic testing was a little bit underwhelming. I thought he ran the 40 pretty well, but the rest of the drills I would have liked to see a little bit more. But uh, in the workout, I say in the position drills, I thought that he uh, performed very well. He caught the ball very easily. Um, you know, he looked sharp in his routes. Everything looked pretty good. So uh, I'm a big fan of Christian Kirk. I've talked about some of the players I've compared him to in the past. You know, the, the Brandon Cooks and Jamison Crowders of the world. I think he can be an impact player for a passing game. The fridge with feet, Will Hernandez. Yeah is uh, the Eagles picking Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, his latest mock, which dropped earlier today. Uh, a player I'm excited to go back and watch more of. I'm going to give – you mentioned our pick six uh, this this week is going to be players that we are most looking forward to go back and watching. I, I very easily could have put Will Hernandez there, and he probably is like near the top of the list. But since I knew we were going to be talking about him here, I didn't put him in there. So a little, little uh, behind-the-scenes info there. But, you know, you look at, at Will Hernandez, he was – a lot better in person than I thought he would be. I didn't get a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl, obviously, but a uh, big physical kid who who can move people in the run game showed up, showed up a lot more athletic and well put together than I thought. Next one here, uh, sticking with Big 12 O-linemen, uh, when it comes to, we talked about Orlando Brown earlier, here Connor Williams from Texas. He's the Eagles pick in Dan Kadar's SB Nation mock draft. Yeah, and a lot of people a year ago kind of penciled Connor Williams in as a top five, top ten pick, and I never really saw him that way. I saw him as more of this kind of value, you know, and I, I think that when you look at him, I think he might even be best as a guard at the next level. He's definitely got the ability to, to play either, um, but I would say I feel best about him inside. So, and then Dan did mention that in the mock draft. So, uh, Connor Williams would be an intriguing pick. Um, talked to him. I thought I was pretty impressed with him. I only talked to him for a little bit on uh, 
on the first day of availability, which was Thursday. That's correct. Um, but you know, overall, I think you know you got the guy with the the versatility, fought through injury this year, um, but certainly has the accolades to back it up from earlier in his career. And last one we're going to refer to here: Pierre Schrager from Good Morning Football uh, has Stanford free safety Justin Reed, who was arguably the best. He was the winner in terms of the press conference interviews for in you, Indianapolis. For sure. Certainly, yeah, yes, you were very impressed. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at Justin Reed, you got a guy with pretty good size for the position, uh, his versatility. He can play both high and in the slot. Did a lot of slot work, honestly. Uh, when I've watched them on film, he tested great uh, as well. He had a really good workout. I, I would agree with you. Very impressive at the podium. We, uh, he and I talked a lot about um, just overall what he did in terms of a preparation standpoint and uh, you know how, what a typical week of film study looked like for him and a guy who seems to take his craft very seriously. His older brother, Eric Reed was a former first-round pick of the 49ers out of LSU, another very intellectual player, and, and this kid is that. He definitely seems to treat the game uh, from an intellectual standpoint, which you, you, if you listen to me, you know I appreciate it. I love guys like that, and, and he's definitely one of them. I mean, Eric Reed, I believe, went 31st. So yep. how fitting would that be if Justin were to go 32nd? Safety is a position that we don't really talk about. We've kind of hit on the podcast. Where a bit, yep. you, had, you have your starters in trench, but who's really the next guy in the pipeline, especially with you know someone like Jalen Watkins has to become a restricted free agent. You know, There's Trey Sullivan, who was on the practice squad last year and showed some flashes in training camp in the preseason, known for his hard-hitting ability. Uh, so he could be looked at as that guy, but – Unless you're thinking of converting someone who's on the roster now, you kind of need that young guy in the pipeline. Maybe Reed could be him. For you, Fran, if if Justin Reed didn't win the podium, who did? Who? Um, you, you kind of Mike scoffed McGl- at my... Mike, Mike McGlinchey. Okay. He would, yeah, uh, right there, too. And I, I actually enjoyed talking to Reed's teammate, Quentin Meeks, a little bit more. Both were very, very impressive. Um, but I, I really enjoyed talking to Quentin Meeks as well. So you get the diamonds in the rough yeah. from that standpoint, so... All right, so, oh, wait, 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 wait. We have a final entry here. Or do we? Or do we? Fran Duffy. Yes. From PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Journey to Draft podcast has the Eagles selecting, oh, I guess we're going to leave it as a tease. we got to find out. No, they're going to they're, they're gonna tell us. I strike the fans are going to tell us. <laughs> no, last, last year we made the picks. Last. We did? I think we made the pick oh, last man, year. Man, I got some thinking to do then. We gotta go back here. Oh man, we don't. We're not even on the same page. We're not. We're, I've we're, got the first thirty-one picks. We're, we're working. Out. We're working the content plan out. See, <laughs> you talk about how the sausage is made. It's getting done right here. No, you actually. We give them the selections in the yeah. poll. That's we give, we give them a poll, so and then they, they, the they, they the select. So my bad on that. So, but right. okay. So the fans will get to pick, but you will get to see Fran Duffy's mock draft for the other thirty-one selections. Keep Later. an eye out for that on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Indeed. So. That's our draft buzz. Now we're going to get to our Mr. Relevant. That is Josh Norris from Rotor World and NBC Sports. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant here on the Journey to Draft podcast. We love to welcome in our good friend. He joins us each and every year leading up to the draft, and he does a phenomenal job covering the draft and also fantasy football for Rotor World and NBC Sports. And that's none other than Josh Norris. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh Norris. And you can also enjoy his podcast with Evan Silva leading up to the NFL draft and with the Combine 
they've done a bunch of episodes that I actually need to get caught up on. So, Josh, first of all, thanks for coming on. And the first thing that I want to ask you is, now that you've had a, some time to absorb the numbers from the NFL Scouting Combine, how do you put the Combine results in their proper perspective and not get too high maybe or too low on a prospect who did better or worse than expected in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's a good question. I think expectations can kind of kill someone's evaluation, right? And that's not necessarily on them. It's on you as the evaluator. I mean, there's a whole different variety of ways that you can implement athletic testing into evaluations. I've changed mine over the years. But one simple way is just to avoid non-NFL caliber athletes. Um, I hate to start this off with a negative because, you know, I'm such a positive guy. But why don't we talk about Orlando Brown here for a moment? I mean, the Oklahoma tackle, you know, no one would say on tape he was an athletic player. Then he goes out and puts out some of the worst tests we've ever seen. And if we're talking about composite scores, which to me is, is really the way to look at athleticism because it's not just looking at a single number like the 40. It's taking all seven or eight and factoring in weight as well. Orlando Brown popped up with a, a zero percentile workout. So, you know, if every single player at his position is more athletic than he is in the NFL, again, that's a simple way of just looking and factoring in athleticism is just avoiding prospects like that. I guess on that uh, on that topic, Josh, you know, when you see a guy, and obviously Orlando Brown is, an, is a, a super extreme case, but when you see a guy who has a little bit lower of a composite score, and again, a composite score being kind of a combination of all this athletic testing and put it all into one nice number, when you have someone that's on the low end of the composite score, especially lower than you may have expected, say a guy like a Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver from Alabama, how much does that affect you in terms of uh, the overall evaluation in, in your eyes? And then how do you then uh, – how much does that turn you off of a player if it's so low at this point in the process? Yeah, an- another fair question. And I'm a big Calvin Ridley fan, and I'll continue to be a Calvin Ridley fan. The same reason I was a Jamison Crowder fan coming out. Um, same reason I was a Dalvin Cook fan, right? Like, in, in some cases, uh, these are kind of leaps of faith. And that's a term that Rum for Johnny told me because despite them possibly being uh, underperforming athletes, um, they still have traits that you find valuable. They understand where they went on the field, and you can see that style of winning translating to the NFL as well. Um, yeah, Calvin really is an interesting example because, and Fran, I'm sure you back me up on this, he's someone that creates separation and sustains it and wins after the catch. And he did that over and over and over again. And I know, again, some people are somewhat concerned because he'll be 24 during his rookie year at some point. But he, he started producing early on as a 21-year-old, 20-year-old. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's tough. It, it's kind of one of those factors where it's fluid. I can't tell you exactly what percent it fits with me. But if I really like the prospect and I think that maybe their test scores line up with that, um, either winning or losing, and so I still think that they can succeed at the NFL level, then I'm going to be perfectly fine with it. But if I didn't like a prospect before the combine and he shows up and puts in, like I say, an 8th, ninth, 7th percentile workout, then it's going to hurt him. But I will say this. like th- There is a major difference, a major difference between like you know a 15th percentile workout and a 5th percentile workout, right? There's been plenty of players, regardless of position, that still are in that kind of 15 to 20 to 10%. Meanwhile, if you're like really, really, really far down the list, um, it's, it's, it's really hard to 
compensate for that. And I, I, I do want to conclude by saying this on this point, that an average score isn't bad at all, right? And you're going to see a number of players be average in, in their athletic testing. Um, that just means they're just as good as the athletes as almost anyone else in the field. So, again, do not treat like the 50th percentile, the 40th percentile as a negative, really. It's just average. Like we all are in some ways. We're all average in our own ways. Josh, well, our Mr. Relevant, Josh Norris, so above average here for the Journey to Draft podcast. Josh, just a kind of a quick take here. Going through the composite scores and combining that with the tape study that you've already done, who is maybe one or two guys on offense and defense who you're more of a fan of and can't wait to study more after the combine? And on the flip side, who are some guys who disappointed outside of Orlando Brown who you already went into uh, his tough performance in Indianapolis? Yeah, and there were a lot. I mean, we had some ridiculous performances um, this NFL combine. I mean, I don't know, and this doesn't answer your question, but, like, I don't know how Jordan Thomas, Oklahoma corner, went out there and, like, completely destroyed the record in the three cone. Like, it was previously for cornerbacks a 6-4-4, and he posted a 6-2-8, which, again, is almost two-tenths of a second faster than any corner in history. Something's up with that. Anyways. Um, Matthew Thomas out of Florida State is an interesting linebacker who was down there at the East-West Shrine game. Fran knows this. I love going down to the East-West Shrine game because I think it kind of uh, gives me a, a, a step ahead in terms of these kind of second-tier prospects, second-tier seniors that go on and produce. Um, there have been plenty in the past. Uh, Javon Hargrave, Dean Lowry, Joe Tooney, guys like that. Uh, Matthew Thomas, the linebacker out of Florida State, I'm not going to call him uh, Telvin Smith at all. I love Telvin Smith coming out of school. He's not quite that, but as a third day prospect, that's kind of a run and chase linebacker. Uh, Matthew Thomas to me is very interesting. And then there are more like Dane Crookshank out of Arizona as a defensive back. Josh Kalu out of Nebraska played safety there, who has almost 33 inch arms and can be a press corner uh, in the NFL. Um, and then I'll throw another name that's kind of the opposite end of that, and it's Deidre Sinat. Um, Dejan Sinat was a squatty, one-technique defensive tackle. Um, I thought he showed more pass-rushing upfield disruption than I expected during those practices at the Shrine game. Um, But I still think that where he went, what his game is in the field, um, his athletic profile was certainly fine, and so I won't really be moving him altering his evaluation at all, in my opinion. Josh, I know you've written a lot and talked a lot about how there are specific drills at the Combine that matter more for certain positions. And and one of those drills, and uh, there's obviously been a lot of work done uh, when it comes to the three-cone drill for those pass rushers, those guys off the edge. And for the first time this year, we got to see the NFL split up the defensive tackles from those edge rushers in combine drills, which was great to see uh, those guys that were similar body types go back-to-back in in a lot of those position-type drills. But uh, when you go to that three-cone drill, number one, why is that so important? And then number two, who are the most eye-popping numbers from that drill this weekend, both in a positive way and in a negative way that make you want to go back and say, hmm, did we miss something here, or are we going to eliminate somebody off of this number? Yeah, first, I think the NFL Network does a great job of broadcasting the combine, but as we know, it's, in their eyes, all about the 40 and then the on-field drill. And so often that leads people just to, again, cite the 40 time as kind of a universal measurement of athleticism, when really – if we paid attention to the three cone equally, maybe its, it's importance would be 
uh, heightened, right? And I think it should be. Um, the, the mark to hit for three-cone time is a 4-4-4. Four, four, four. Um, uh, sorry, not – it's a 6-9-0 uh, to hit for three-cone. It's 4-4-4 four, four, four for the 20-yard shuttle, which we'll get into with offensive linemen. But um, there were three players that hit it in this edge rushing class. And it was Harold Landry. It was Kylie Fit. And I believe the last one was uh, – I'm blanking on it, friend. Was, was, it, uh, was it Sam Hubbard? It was Sam Hubbard. That's exactly who it was. And you know what? Harold Landry is an interesting name because if you go back and watch his 2016 and even 2015, I think he broke out on like a Thursday night performance, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, it's unbelievable – how great he is. And then you go back and watch 2017 and he, you can tell he kind of dealt with an injury. I think with how much good tape is out there with that three cone time. Um, and, and again, with this athletic profile as well, he's locked in now to the top 20 top 15. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some teams have him directly after Bradley Chubb. And there's not that big of a gap between the two. Sam Hubbard's an interesting one as well, because um, I think he's, far more athletic than people expected because um, coming out of school, they might have thought he was kind of just a technician winning with his hands, but he's got some fluidity to him. He's got some interesting movement to his game as well. And then closing out with Kylie Fitz, who was at the Senior Bowl. I know you guys were busy during that time. But Kylie Fitz has some uh, injuries to his history. But uh, when he was able to bend and work around the corner and, and even use his hands and his length, what he has in that regard, he's a very interesting third-day selection that, again, with this hitting the threshold of top tier elite uh, three cone times dating back for since 2006 as a really, really high hit rate. So again, he'll probably go on day three, but he might end up as a nice situational pass rusher forever. Selection. Josh, Fran and I were having this discussion in Indianapolis. You mentioned how the NFL scouting combine does a great job of televising the event. And certainly we see the 40 times and the drills, but we also see a lot of interviews with the prospects and kind of start to get a little bit of a sense for their personality. How much do you weigh things along those lines as well as like the medical into your evaluations when coming up with your rankings, your grades, and, and your mock drafts? Or do you try to keep yourself out of that because you're not going to get all the information and just leave it to what you see on the field and the numbers that you're going to get from events like the Combine? Yeah, simply put, I keep myself out of it because those of us on the outside that don't have access you know, the – 300, 400, 500 prospects in this class and maybe only get information via anonymous scouts on about 50 names. To me, it's not fair to compare those 50 to the other 300 that we don't have any information on. And just to the point of um, anonymous scouts, I mean, many of us talk to people in the league, but so much more of that information, those narratives are formed by what is reported via websites, on television, whatever. And I, I have a difficult time trusting those comments because who am I to trust someone I've never met in the anonymous scout describe and evaluate the personality of another person I've never met in the prospect? Like that just like there are 300 plus scouts in the NFL and we all don't get along with the same people. We all mesh and, and clash with different styles. Um, but I do think even the 15, 20 minutes, whatever these prospects have in front of the media, to me that's meaningful, right? Like I, I look at what Josh Rosen said in his, and 
I really appreciated kind of the self-awareness that he showed in that and, and how he has a personality. He's not afraid to show it. Same thing with Lamar Jackson and a lot of these prospects. It's really interesting to learn about their stories. But do I think that I can incorporate that in my eva- evaluation? I, I certainly try not to, but again, we all have our biases, and it's, it's, it's better to be honest with them than, than try to hide them. Josh, my last question for you is just going back to the drills. You had mentioned that there was the short shuttle for the offensive linemen that you also like to focus on. Were there any other drills uh, that are kind of position-specific for you that you place a little bit more extra importance on? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's that 20-yard short shuttle for the offensive linemen. And I'm not saying, like, this is why it it um, projects well to the NFL. Like, I mean, we can kind of understand why, right, with centers and guards in terms of movement. But my goal in, in, in finding that in the three cone was saying, okay, some people are just going to look at the top times and, and, and try to say, well, this one doesn't matter because look at the guys who ran the top 40 and then none of them succeeded in the NFL. Well, with a 20-yard short shuttle, again, the hit rate is about 75%, 70% just based on your evaluation of, of that player once he got to the league. And it goes all the way from top names like um, Nate Solder, Ryan Khalil, all the way to, you know, late-round picks like a Charles Leno, um, guys who hit this threshold. And then there were, there were three this year that did it, I, I believe. Um, and, and one of those names is Joe Noteboom out of TCU. And I'm not saying the rest of Joe Noteboom's workout was great. He was supposed to be at the Shrine game, got caught up the Senior Bowl before the event even started. But, again, I, I kind of side with this and at least will bump them up and go back and look at it because it's tough to find offensive tackles. We all know that. You guys know that with Big B um, in the later uh, parts of the draft. And if you can just identify kind of a narrow skill set and hope to build off of that, then there's something to work with there. And I think Joe Nobu might be that at TCU. Josh, my last question for you is this. You've done hits for NBC Sports Philly here in Philadelphia. You're certainly familiar with Eagles. You come on our podcast Looking at that pick there at the end of the first round, the number 32 overall selection, I'm not asking to mock who you think the Eagles will take per se. Obviously, still very early in the process, just coming off the combine. But who are some potential names who you think not just might be there, but also could fit what the Eagles do uh, and potentially need? Yeah, it's. I mean, as you guys know, it's so tough to project a pick for a such a loaded roster. Right. And and it's it's that loaded just because of the depth that the, the, the team was able to pick up in free agency over the last two years and the deals they made. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of in a luxury pick situation and I, I'll get some pushback for this and that's perfectly fine. But if I'm and, and, and what happens with a lot of these teams is they don't necessarily look, especially ones that just won the Super Bowl, look at next year or this year and fi- figure out what the need is. They look down the line and see, OK, what is a declining player on our team who has a large cap number and how do we replace him in the future? Um, or a team looks at running back, right? Like I, I look at the, the, the Eagles cap number right now and how they rotated the running backs. Um, Jay Ajayi will be up after his contract, I believe next season. Um, LeGarrette Blunt, I believe doesn't have any uh, guarantees left on his deal or close to it. Um, if you need that style of a running back, I wouldn't be surprised if Darius Geis is still on the board. Look, I, I think we all know that the, a, a trade-out is certainly possible there at the end of the first round, but where this draft and class is loaded, is loaded 
are linebackers and running backs. And if Nigel Bradham leaves at linebacker, that's another potential place as well, maybe in a Rashawn Evans out of Alabama. But again, it's tough for me to get over a talent like Darius Geis being there in the later part of round one and him being in a rookie contract for four or five years and, and the Eagles potentially needing a, a player like that in a year or two. That is the one and only Josh Norris from Rotor World and NBC Sports. Again, follow him on Twitter at Josh Norris. Thank you so much for joining us here, being our Mr. Relevant on this week's edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. Thanks for letting me ramble. I appreciate it. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, getting to Pick 6 now. Six players. We're excited to go back and review and study a little bit more after the Combine. Fran's being a little immature right now, so I will go first here. I'm going to go with Maryland wide receiver D.J. Moore. And he was considered, you know, one of the better-kept secrets going into the Combine. Obviously, I didn't know a ton about him, but his timing and testing drills were outstanding. Caught the ball well in pass-catching drills. Torrey Smith was a huge fan of his performance, has given him love on Twitter. Um, So, you know, you mentioned Christian Kirk. I want to go look at D.J. Moore and some of these other receivers. D.J. Chark, who had the blazing 40-time for LSU. But but D.J. Moore is the guy who seems like he's the more well-rounded guy out of the uh, top performers in Indy. Shameless plug, he is going to be the subject of our scouting report on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this week. So uh, Greg Cosell and I had a long chat for Chalk Talk, and you can check out my scouting report on D.J. Moore at the end of the show. I'm a big big fan. Uh, I I was glad to see him work out, and I talked to him for a good amount of time on, again, what was that, Friday. Friday, Uh, Very impressive kid. So um, keep an eye out out for that uh, later this week. Uh, My guy is going to be Mike Gesicki, the tight end from Penn State, who – uh, you know, obviously, I mean, he had a he had a legendary workout. He had an outstanding workout. How often did we talk about this tight end class going into the combine? I said, look, it's a good group, but it's not a good group in terms of the athletic testing. The guys that we saw a year ago just lit up the the board in terms of the forty and the three cones and the jumps and all that. I didn't expect any of these tight ends, especially with Chris Herndon, the tight end from Miami, injured. I didn't expect any of these guys to do that. Nope, Mike Kosicki proved me wrong. I expected, and I wrote this in the preview for that for that day's work, that he was going to test well on the jumps. I expected him to run fairly well. Did not expect the shuttle times to be as good as they were, and I didn't expect the 40 to be as good as it was. It was an outstanding workout for Mike Kosicki, and he may have played himself into the top 50, 60 picks. We'll see. Interesting. Now, what's great about your preview articles is the fact that you can go back now and read them. It's not really specific oh, about sure. – the combine it's a lot of great background info on the different players who had productive college careers you got we got some you got some pro comparisons in there for crying out loud you give the fans what they want fans love the pro comparisons they're very difficult but i <laughs> i do enjoy when i find like a really good one yeah and some of them the ones that i put in there were the ones i felt pretty good about you don't have to do it for every single guy can't do it for but still it was funny what we were watching the early uh, NFL Network coverage as we were preparing to leave Indy on Monday. Yep. It was the oh, DPs. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, was it was it the Wake Forest safety? No, it was Jesse Bates. Or no, it was um it was uh it was Josh Jackson from Iowa. Josh Jackson from Iowa. Because so. he was the player that I used for my pro comparison Who from was, Marcus Peters. It was that one. Oh it was that one. But no, you did what Je- we did was, with Jesse Bates as well. Yes. Because you were gonna say 
I was going to say, I said Georgia Loca, and I said it. But you but, said, I would be surprised because I did a one-on-one with Mike Mayock that will be on the, on the site in the app later this week, and he brought up Jesse Bates, and Frank goes, uh, what are you comparing to Harrison Smith? Because that's the other, I feel like that'll be another popular one that ever, Jesse Bates is a nice player, but everyone's talking, we'll talk about him, I think, as a Harrison Smith. Type. But what's on the NFL Network that's telecast? exactly what happened. Exactly where you're watching, so, yep. so yeah, you nailed it with the Josh Jackson to Marcus Peters one, and what was sort of interesting based on what's happened with Marcus Peters being dealt to the Rams and getting to hear from Josh Jackson. Marcus Peters, you know, brash and questions about his personality off the field and didn't seem to mesh with the coaches. That's why they were looking to get rid of a guy who was such a dynamic playmaker for Kansas City. Josh Jackson's like the opposite. It's like yeah. the guy who you, – you asked him the question point blank, who was the leader on the Hawkeyes defense, and he went to Josie Jewell first, listed a couple other three other there. guys yeah. – didn't include himself in the conversation. Yeah, quiet, subdued guy. Um, but I thought he—I mean, he spoke well. He handled yeah, himself very well at the podium. Um, but definitely not that like flashy, uh, you know, extrovert that you typically yeah. see for the corner sp- so, corner spot. So playmaking ability, yes, but the brash personality, no. I completely forgot about that. I was—I think I had, like just got out of the shower. I've got the towel. I'm brushing my teeth. I look at the TV to see <laughs> updated forty times, and I see Josh Jackson, Marcus Peters, and both hands went in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, I can only imagine what's going through the minds of the <laughs> podcast listeners right now. My next guy here, I don't know how to segue to this. It's a flat, okay, I'll go with a flash, a little swag here. Dante Jackson, corner from LSU, and he had the blazing fast 40 time. And the thing I like was the attitude and getting to hear yeah. from him during a press conference because he was asked if he was going to, you know, DJ Chark, his teammate at LSU, who would win in the race. And he goes, man. I could run four three four without stretching, and you're just like, all right. He may have tried because he, he pulled out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he maybe wishes he had stretched yeah. because he got cramps. But <laughs> but we also uh, we ran shortly after the workouts that day. We ran into uh, or those press conferences. We ran into defensive backs Corey Unlin yes. at the team hotel, and you know we're just kind of talking about different players and he asking about different interviews we heard, and we mentioned the quote from. Jackson and I was like, you know, oh, you already got one LSU guy in there, Jalen Mills. Can you have hand of another one in there? And he goes, can never have too much swag. Can't. I'm all in, for it. The That's what I'm here for. Room. So I love it. Um, I'm gonna go with my next guy with Calvin Ridley, and it's a way that you know we talked about it a little bit with Josh, and uh, we've talked about it previously this week. It was funny when the, when the the secondary guys came up, when the DBs came up to the podium, anybody from the SEC that I talked to. I asked him about Calvin Ridley and you know how people are down on him and uh, because of the athletic testing and all of them just had the same reaction and it was so funny. They all scoffed and said like I don't care what his forty time was, I don't care what his shuttle times were. That kid is a football player, um, and that's exactly how I feel. I'm ex- I am interested though to go back and see because uh, anytime I watched him, I I marked him down as a great athlete. Did not test like a great athlete. So uh, I'll go back and watch more, but I don't think it's going to change, but I am excited to go back and watch more just because also I, I love watching him on film. All right, my last guy, he, he kind of a little bit under the radar. We, we talked about tight ends already, so it was, you know, we were coming up with these separately, and you know, I definitely wanted to go to the tight end position. It's Ian Thomas from Indiana who had a great workout in, in Indy, and the big thing is we don't know what's going to happen at the position, so it's almost more of a learning the position more so to figure out what the Eagles could potentially do here because we all know they got Zach Ertz, a pro bowler, one of the elite in the league at his spot. But after that, you know, Brent Selleck is going into his 
12th season, 11th, 12th season in the league. Trey Burton said to become a free agent. There were reports about his future going around. You know, a lot of people will say, well, right now or going to last season, the Eagles were stocked at tight end, which is true. Sure. In a year's time, things can quickly change. So, you know, that's sort of one of those sneaky positions that no one's really talking about that the Eagles could address early. You know, Ian Thomas, after his combine workout, may have played himself into uh, an early day two selection. Obviously, the Eagles don't have that pick, so they would have to probably go at 32 unless they trade down. But uh, just someone I want to learn a little more about. Yeah, one of the better blockers in the tight end class for sure. Uh, I'm going to stay under the radar as well for my final pick. And you know, you and I watched workouts together for a couple of days, and you know, like I'm watching the guys go through position drills, and every, a guy will come up and I'll say, "Man, like the, the kid just looks good. He, everything looks good about how he's moving and how he's, you know, everything he's doing in the drills." For the offensive line, my guy there was Wagner uh, tackle Greg Sanat, and he's a player that uh, absolutely looks the part. Uh, the testing, from what I understand, was pretty good. But overall, of watching him move in drills, I was very, very intrigued. I haven't watched a lick of him, so I'm excited to go and, and actually get my first taste of how he plays on film. All right, so that's going to do it for Pick 6. Now your questions in our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, time for your questions in our draft mailbag. And we're going to go through this a little quicker. We... We had fun in Indy. We probably went a little long, a little verbose on the podcast. So we're going to try to scale back time-wise. We want get excited. We are it's excited. It's an exciting time of year. It is an exciting time of year. The so. trophy's up in the lobby. Everybody's excited. Is it? Can we do an interview with the trophy? No, I'm not going to try. Probably won't that. be as verbose. Yo, okay, speaking of Mike Mayock, early on in his career, he said one of the worst assignments he ever got was I think he had to interview a statue. Oh, I would have to go back and look at this, but it instantly came to mind as soon as we're talking about doing an interview with an inanimate object. It's like, I think Mike Mayock, when he was early in his broadcasting career, had to do something that was like a fun co- comedian type piece with a with a statue. I'm and, sure he loved that, and you know, <laughs> and he doesn't want to do anything along those lines. If you if you watch the our preseason broadcast it's like anything that's not like Mike football <laughs> it's like wants no part of it whatsoever. Going, going back to the zoo in day three of the draft like no <laughs> like don't, don't go off the beaten path with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so first question we're gonna go a little out on the question this week but first one comes from on twitter at makarov underscore wants to know talked about mike Kosicki. is he there at 32 and if if he is, is he going to play for the Eagles? If he's by far the best player on the board, then you draft him. Um, if he's not, then you don't. That's the way I look at it. I think yeah. I've gotten a lot of people asking, people texting me, people uh, on Twitter saying, like, oh, is Mike Kosicki going to be there at 32? Like, let's uh, – Pump, let's pump it a little bit. I, I, you know, look, it was a great workout. But, His agent will not be happy with you. Well, you know, I think when, like, there were guys that tested, like, Bucky Hodges had a great workout last year, so, like, Hodges. on par, and he was a sixth round pick of the Minnesota Vikings. Like, let's, uh, you know, we'll pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to be a sixth round pick, Mike Kosicki, but uh, I don't say, like, oh, yeah, he's definitely not going to be there when the Eagles select now. Yeah. It was funny because during the podcast, we would go through prospects. Oh, that guy's gonna be gone before thirty-two, and you'd freak out because you're like someone's got to be there at thirty-two. Someone's got not to be everyone's there. getting selected. All right, there's so. only thirty-one picks. Last one here comes from at David Taylor zero seven one three. What, in your opinion, is the greatest need for the Eagles, and which combine player would be a good fit for that need? Hmm. And it's 
a little difficult to answer right now because if you were to take the roster as it stands today, pretty stacked across the board. And I can't tell you how many times talking to people from other teams, they would just be like, you guys, you know, such a deep team that was built the right way. You know, just a lot. It seemed like everybody we talked to. Yeah. You know, you guys, you guys had a monster there in Philadelphia and it's a, Tip of the cap to Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas and Andy Weidel and all, all the scouts and personnel execs for the job they did in, in crafting it. But, I mean, you honestly, you looked at face value and you're like, all right, what, what, what were the weak spots on the team? Because you, you think about the guys that are going to be getting back from injury and they're going to further bolster some of those positions. It's going to be intriguing over the next couple of weeks when you have trading and free agency getting underway here. The Eagles are going to lose some players. And Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson said at the Combine, you know, they want to keep as many people as they can. They want to keep the good football players. But at the end of the day, you're going to lose some guys. That's just how it is. And you try to think about the Eagles' top free agents or the guys who are, you know, slated to hit the market. Uh, you think about the impact guys. You know, talk about Trey Burton a few moments ago. Nigel Bradham, the starter on defense. Patrick Robinson, nickel corner. Bo Allen along the defensive line. Just some of the guys here. You know, it's going to change things if those guys aren't back next year so it's almost so it's almost like you have to wait and see which guys aren't going to be back I mean if Nigel Brown doesn't come back that's going to alter the linebacker position a little bit because you are getting Jordan Hicks back but you're losing a guy who's been a quality starter for you for two years if Patrick Robinson doesn't come back hey phenomenal on the slot last year the Eagles have to figure out who to put there so maybe you can answer from that that perspective of some of those guys who I mentioned you know so I think if you looked, let's just start with Patrick Robinson. I think if you you looked at all right, who are the top slop corners uh, in this draft? You know, I, I, we've talked about Dante Jackson, an electric athlete um, that I think has the ability to play both inside and outside. But my favorite pure slot corner is MJ Stewart from North Carolina, a guy who's got experience in the slot uh, like Dante Jackson does. But love his competitiveness. He's an instinctive player. Uh, he's scrappy. His test scores were, were solid, not great. Uh, long speed is a little bit of a question with him, so that's why a lot of people feel like he, he'd be best off in the slot full-time. I'm a big fan of the way he plays. Uh, Taron Johnson from Weber State uh, was down at the Senior Bowl, two-time All-Big Sky uh, defensive MVP. I mean, just a, a really dynamic player for uh, Weber State for a long time, a four-year starter. Really like him in the slot. Another small school guy. Parry Nickerson from Tulane who tested very well outstanding production. I mean, he, I think he had 16 picks in his career, 47 uh, pass break, or, uh, overall ball disruptions. So a guy who is really good on the ball, has top-end speed. He ran 4-3-2, um, but just really, really small. So you know, a lot of people feel like, all right, he's going to have to move into the slot. Chandon Sullivan from Georgia State, another guy that has the ability to move in the slot. There's a lot of good slot corners in this draft, so um, there are some options there. You, know, you go to linebacker. If you're looking for a guy, it's going to be, look, Jordan Hicks, you have Michael Kendricks. You feel like those guys can be three-down players. If you're worried about a young guy that can be a three-down player and you want to try and add somebody, I think there are a bunch of guys in this draft. And it doesn't need to be at 32 if they, if they decide to, to take one there or trade down, whatever. It doesn't need to be there. I think that there are going to be some players later in the draft, you know, fourth round, fifth round, that have the ability to be three-down players in time. You know, we talk about a Jerome Baker from Ohio State. Uh, you know, Rashawn Evans obviously has gotten a lot of love, and there are a lot of mock drafts have him going to the Eagles at 32. I would say that uh, Leighton Vander Esch is starting to get a lot of pub there as well. And you know, there's the question is, is he going to be there at 32? But 
You know, Josie Jewell from Iowa is a player that I'm a big fan of. You know, Fred Warner from BYU, different kind of player, but similar in that I think he can be a three-down type of guy. Uh, Jack Sitchi from Wisconsin is, is had, he's coming off the knee injury. Roquan Smith obviously going to be off the board. But there are a lot of really talented linebackers in this draft. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think if you look at those two as some of the big needs, Trey Burton, a move tight end, there's, it's a pretty good tight end group. So there, there's lots of options there. But I agree with you. Talking about needs at this point, we're a week away from free agency. I think it's kind of a moot point at this point in the process. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Journey to Draft podcast. Again, make sure to rate and leave a comment wherever you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any of the other platforms. Fran, I think we'll do this again next week. Next week. Indeed. Yes. Hopefully snow and all that stuff will be gone. And we'll, so. and we'll be able to just enjoy the beautiful confines of the NovaCare Complex. Great to be back in Philadelphia. Stay safe with the weather. Special shout-out to Brian Thomas, our producer, behind the glass for helping make this happen. For Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast.